Amen. Let's bow in prayer. In the words of the hymn writer we just sang, Will you help the trembling mourners who are struggling hard with sin? Tell them all about the Savior. Lord God, we just come before you now. If there is those in this room who are struggling with their sin, Lord, we pray, we plead, we beg you that you would show them the way of salvation, that you would call them to yourself and they would reach out in faith and respond and just be, uh, Lord, have a, a glorious uh, birth, new birth. And Lord, we pray, we pray that if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that that is their plight today, that today would be their day of salvation. Lord, for the rest of us, we just uh, pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth, that we would sing your praises, that we would study your word. And yes, that we would walk out of here a little bit more chiseled into the image of Christ than when we came. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, please be seated. And so uh, we have a very new um, connection card. Okay, so please take advantage of that. Uh, we're still going to put it in the offering plate for now. There will come a time when the um, connection area back there will be open, and, and we'll ask for those connection cards there. But for now, go ahead and continue to put that in the offering plate. And, and we have a separate prayer card. So that's sort of a change as of today and, and following. So please uh, take advantage of those um, and fill those out. Um, all right. Uh, next Sunday night, we have uh, uh, a new, I guess you would say, or, or a restart, if you will, to uh, outreach and visitation. And uh, Brother Philip is going to share uh, how we're going to do that on an ongoing basis. It's going to uh, our, our base of operation is going to be the second Sunday night of every month. But of course, outreach and visitation happens all the time. But uh, but the second Sunday night was going to be our focus. And so come next week. Well, with that in mind, we are going to sing uh, a new song today that reminds us that we are to be about telling people about Jesus. Amen? And so you worship with us as we uh, share this with you today. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all of its stealing, and you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He may away when there ain't no way rises up from an empty grave ain't no sinner that he can't say let me tell you about my jesus his love is strong and his grace is free and the good news is i know that he can do for you what he's done for me 
wasted years until the past to disappear. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and all the wrong turns that you would going under if you could. Who can work it out for your good? Let me tell you about. praising the Lord. A.W. Tozier told us this, that uh, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's why we sing. You know, as we, as we sing, we, we, we learn. Uh, finish this. A, B, C, D. Right? You, you probably learned that at two or three years old, way before you had any memory of even being able to learn. Because why? Because that song was put in your mind. And so it's very, very important what we sing. This next song is a, is a teaching song. Let's sing it together. This, I believe.
will gather together. We're going to collect an offering. I told you we're going to be uh, putting the offering in the middle of the service again, passing the plates. And so the, it's always been an act of worship, but this really reminds us that it truly is an act of worship. And so I hope you take it that way. Uh, once we say the final amen of this prayer, you are going to hear 
uh, or see a video from Kyle and Katie Brousseau. And uh, if, you're, if you're watching online, we're going to go black for a couple of minutes because this can only be seen in-house because of the nature of what it's reporting about the Ukraine, okay, and missionaries around the world. So uh, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we uh, just come before you now. Thank you, Lord, that re- you remind us today that as we give uh, part of this offering, it goes to the International Mission Board, and the International Mission Board consists of, of, of work that's, that's helping uh, Ukrainian refugees that are entering into Poland and other countries, and we're feeding them, and we're clothing them, and we're giving them shelter. And, and Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, Lord, help us to be faithful for, to, to help Christians around the world who are struggling uh, in, in untold ways that we can't even imagine. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together.
Well, good morning. It's good to have you here today, and it's wonderful to open up the Word of the Lord and to see what the Lord God would say to us today. If you will make your way to Ephesians chapter 4, we today will seek to preach from verse 12 down through verse 16. And some of you are holding your breath thinking, how is this going to be possible from our pastor to go that far? But we're going to do our best. Did you know that a finely, a finely tuned physique is an amazing thing where each part is doing what it's supposed to do in contributing to the overall function of that body? But it's the pits when it doesn't function as it should. Um, I play on our church league softball team. How dare they take me out and replace me with another runner? And the worst thing about that is they replaced me with the guys whose initial is Kevin Picard. <laughs> and KP is 55, I think. How old are you? <laughs> well, he would have been 57, I think, when he replaced me the first time. And I was standing on first, and KP comes running out there. I'm like, the old replacing, the older replacing somebody who's old, right? So I've been doing my best to get in better shape uh, so I can run the bases without somebody taking me out. Sometimes it happens. Jim feels sorry for me, but you know what I mean. This, if you've never played a sport with aging men, then you don't know exactly what this is about. But I want to remind you that the church is also a body. And it is a living organism. And it is truly a beautiful sight when that body being nourished by its head who is the Lord Jesus Christ, is then supported by all the ligaments, and each member is doing its part. That's an amazing thing when it takes place as God asks us for it to take place. So Christ Jesus has given us gifts, and he's done that such in a manner that it would equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So ultimately, even the work of the ministry serves a bigger purpose. And let me show you what that is today. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 4. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Alright, here it is. For the building up of the body of Christ. A good translation would be, because that's metaphorical language, building up for strengthening spiritually. So all of this has a goal. The giving of the gifts, the equipping of the saints is for the building up. It is for the spiritual strengthening of the body. Now, folks, we live in an isolationist society where everybody does their own thing and don't want no, no, that they don't want anybody involved with them, right? Well, I want to remind you that this is a corporate thing right here. This is what happens to the body, not isolation. Do you grow individually? Absolutely. But your focus in the church must be on the body. To focus in on the building up, the spiritual strengthening of the body. And so here's what the text says. How does it take place? Or what are some aspects of this building up of the body of Christ? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. 
by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. There it is again, the ultimate building up into Christ, who is the head. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Here we go. Think about the functioning of an old man's body versus the one that's functioning perfectly as it should. When each part is working, when every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the entire body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, this word build is a construction term. Ephesians 2.21 reminds us of the very word. Verse 20, start there. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are being, listen, built together. It's not the first time we've encountered that word. Built together. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my church. Same construction when we look together in chapter 4, verse 16. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it Builds itself, let your eyes flow down to verse 29 of chapter 5. Let no, corrupt, no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as as good for the building up as it fits the occasion. If you'll look with me in Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And then again in chapter 15 verse 2 of the book of Romans. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So here we have a construction word used figuratively which carries the idea of spiritual strengthening. And this is a process where the body is built up and the body is strengthened. We do this together. You are to be a contributing member of the church whereby your focus is the building up of the saints. That's the goal of service. How do you do this? Why do you do this? Well, number one, you've been equipped. And number two, you're called by God to serve. That is your response as the people of God to the pastor teachers that God has sent to equip this church. You've got two responsibilities. Be equipped and serve. That's pretty simple church life, isn't it? To be equipped and to serve. The ultimate goal of Christ gifting his church, pastor teachers, to equip the body is so that the body will do the work of the service for each other and the equipping and the serving together will be spiritually strengthening to the growing up of this body. And we can say that's unto obedience, it's unto holiness, it's unto grace, it's unto love. And it is crucial that you don't miss the link here. You are the link, right? It, think about how important that is to see those words 
for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Do you see the link to the church growing as it should? So if you're a believer and you're a member of this church, you have that twofold contribution to make to the strengthening of this body. No one in this building, if you're saved and a part of this church, you, no one in here is outside of this statement. You, yourself, have two contributions. To be equipped and to serve. In doing this, you will contribute to the health and the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. And again, don't miss this. This has a corporate emphasis. We receive grace and we are equipped, but the ultimate goal is for the body as a whole to grow together. So this issue of equipping, this issue of, uh, excuse me, gifting and equipping and serving and growing is concerned with the body. That's why church life is so important. It's not just your own individual isolation growth. It is for the body according to this particular text of Scripture. So, at this point in our passage, we're going to see the emphasis come toward what we may call spiritual maturity or the building up or spiritual strengthening. And so, it's important. I think here in this body, by and large, the body of FBCO, I think that we take care of each other in many ways. We meet needs in many ways. I think... We've been, and that's an encouragement to me because there is service and because there is a desire to meet one another's needs and to take care of this church body. That it's obvious that some equipping is the equipping perfect? No, it's not. Do we let people fall through the cracks? Absolutely. Are we always good at serving? No, I don't think so. We 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 often talk about the ninety ten rule. Y'all know what that means? <clears throat> we, we often talk about tithing and we say it's 80-20. That 80 20% of the people give the max and less to 80. Okay, But when it comes to serving, we talk about the 90-10 rule. That 10% of the church family does 90% of the work. I don't think that's true here at our church. Uh, may it be, it could be 60-40 could be 70-30, but wouldn't it be an awesome blessing if it was 100%? That everybody in the church did exactly what God had gifted them to do, and they were serious about it. If you're serious about being equipped and serving the Lord, may God increase all of our tribe, right? May God help all of us. I want to remind you this morning before we dive into it and break the text down, you are not so obscure in this place that you can safely hide from this truth. Did you know that? You think, well, I'm just a little, I'm nothing in this church. No, you're important. If you are saved and you're a part of this church, you can't just lean back in obscurity and think that you can hide from this particular command and or assignment to be part of the body of Christ. And I would also say to you that we... That not only can you not hide in obscurity, but none of us is too weak that God can't use us to accomplish his purpose. And we think about that sometimes. You know why? Because we see church as sophisticated boxes that we check out, check off in ministry. And if I don't fit that box, then I don't know how I fit into the church. That's terrible, stinking theology. Real 
uh, bonafide grace affecting your life turns you around and it, it moves you from being idolater to a servant of God. Right? It, that's just the way it happens when you trust Christ. So we all know there are more needs that exist in this very room than one single person could ever be aware of or accomplish meeting that need. So everybody in this church is needed, every part of us, so we all can find something to do. Please break for free from the sophisticated ministerial boxes and do something for the kingdom, right? Rid yourself of that thought. Use the fuel of God's word that he pumps into you every Sunday to employ you to be equipped and to serve somebody. In other words, do a good work. Edify the body. Fulfill your ministry. Build up the corporate dimension of this church body. Okay, that was a pretty lengthy introduction. All right, let's roll. How are we doing it? By focusing on the goal of building up slash maturity of the church. That's our focus, right? Let me show you how that works. Building the body results in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Just follow the text. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up. And then it gives this unique phraseology. Until we all Attain. All right, right up front, think about this. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, it made salvation actual. It becomes applied in time and space when you trust the Lord. But that salvation is not over. So it's actual, it's applied, and it's going to be one day consummated. So some of this terminology is the already and the not yet. Y'all heard that? Here's, here's the already in us, but some of this terminology like attaining something. I got news for you folks. You haven't attained it yet. You're not sinless perfected, uh, nor is your body ceasing to break down, right? So there's some aspects of this that's certainly that way. But those given by Christ as ministers, along with the saints, render this service so that objectively we continue to serve until something is attained, and that verb means to arrive at a particular state with the focus being on the end point. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. So this growth does not occur in isolation. What does our God envisage? He envisages people collectively, progressively attaining, seeking something. This goal is something that we pursue, is something that we reach for. To attain this objective, we need a unified understanding of the faith. Y'all see it there? The knowledge of the faith of the Son of God. Faith. Wow. In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made... In the flesh, flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Don't you love verse 13? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is speaking of the faith. This is speaking of the subject of all that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for us and the fact that we were far off, but God has now brought us near. So, my statement for, for reminding you of that is to let you know that this is not faith in a subjective sense. 
This is objective. The faith. In other words, this is who we are. This is what we uh, see as a reality. It's the objective. It's, it's called the faith. So, in chapter 4, verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then look at verse 5. One Lord. Y'all see it? One. Say it. Faith. One faith. So we've been told that there's only one faith. We've been encouraged to maintain the unity of that. And so faith should be understood as the objective sense of that which you have believed into. You believed the faith. This is why we devote ourselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God so that we truly understand what the faith is. For instance, Jude chapter 3 is a great reminder for us at this point. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The Christian faith is noble and honorable and worthy of every bit of the reader's agonizing efforts to maintain the faith, right? To be eager to defend the faith. That's what Jude verse 3 is saying to us. What can we say about this objective faith that we've been given? Well, what do you believe about creation? What do you believe about our fall into sin? What about the separation that ensued after Adam plunged all humanity into the indictment of being sinful? What about judgment? What about the big promise in Genesis 3.15? He shall bruise your heel, but you shall crush his head. What, what about that big promise? What about redemption? What about Christ coming into the world? What about his death and resurrection and ascension? Folks, what about his grace and the fact that he's coming again? That's our faith, right? There's the other, another side of that depth of the fullness of it when we think of the scriptures. When we think about David's son, God's king, our savior. When we think about faith and repentance and the Holy Spirit and baptism and the church. That's the faith. There's, there's also another side of this and that's the fullness of the faith that we've been given. In other words, faith demands some things from us. Amen? It does. A life lived in faith. Paul understood it to mean this in Romans chapter 1 verse 5. It's the obedience of faith. And to Titus he wrote that he labored for the sake of the faith of the elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. James puts the fullness of faith like this. Faith apart from works is dead. Peter wrote about the tested genuineness of our faith. Though it be much more precious than gold, though it be tried by fire, may be found to the praise and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go on and on, couldn't we? I like the simplicity of the ancient preacher who likened faithfulness to this. The life of God, it is the putting of the life of God in the soul of man. That's faith. Faith. Notice Judas, uh, Jude's words. That faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints. Did you know, folks, that the Christian faith is already in existence? It's a settled body of saving truths. It will never change. It's once delivered to the saints. We're not free to change it. 
It's not only the fullness of the faith, it's the finality of the faith. Here's the point, folks. God's people are moving towards the goal of appropriating all that is included in the one faith. The already and the not yet. That's how we're to see the faith. And then it says the knowledge of the Son of God. And immediately your mind ought to race back to chapter 1, verse 9. Listen to the Bible. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Did you know that the only time Paul uses that title, Son of God, in the book of Ephesians is right here? Isn't that interesting? That he would say the knowledge of the Son of God. Why does he say it like that? Because he wants you to think Christologically. He wants you to be Christ-centered in the way you think. And I can't help but believe Paul wants you to think about not only who Christ is and who he, who he was, but the fact of where he is right now. Where is Christ right now, folks? He's seated. He's highly exalted. And he's ascended into heaven. And he rules all things from his throne. Right? So it's Christological, the Son of God. So we should strive... To know who he is. And I would remind you that it's not only intellectually. But how about in your heart of hearts. Do you seek to know the son of God. Because Philippians 3 verse 10 to remind us. That Paul says. I count all things but rubbish. That I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What you know intellectually. Ought to move from the hard drive of the mind. And drop into your affections. And your desire should be to know him. And there's no doubt. That Paul wants us to have a comprehensive understanding of Christ and his work and its relevance in our lives. Folks, this is essential for the church to grow as it should. We have to be saturated with Jesus. We, we must be. We, not just intellectually, but how does it move your uh, affections? Uh, in other words, right belief should, meet, should lead to right behavior. And right Beliefs should lead to right thinking and serving. And that's why the faith and the Son of God and the knowledge of Him is so vitally important to the church. Just flip over a couple of books to Colossians. Listen to chapter 2. Here it weds the two of them together. Chapter 2 verse 6. Therefore as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. Check this out. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Just as you have been taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Do you see how important it is? And why would you need to know about him? Well, verse 2 of chapter 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mercy which is in Christ. Verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The knowledge of the Son of of God. God wants us to be to walk in him, to be rooted, to be built up and to be established in the faith. And that is so vitally important for us to hear today. The doctrine of the son of God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. So we build there's this building up. And how is it that way? In the faith and knowledge of the son of God. And then this final thing wraps that particular thought up. And this 
It's not the easiest in the world when you start translating this in the original languages. But notice this. To, the, uh, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, some treat this more as an objective genitive, meaning that Christ is the one filling us. Well, we already know that, don't we? Chapter 1, verse 22. You don't have to turn, but just listen. Verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then down in verse 9, also, verse 10, he who descended in chapter 4 is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So in one sense, you've got all of God you're ever going to get when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to live in you through the Holy Spirit of God. You don't get God in parts. You get him in full. So I know there's the corporate dimension of this. But when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and believed the gospel, what happened to you? You were infused with the very life of God through the Holy Spirit of God. And in you dwells his fullness. So I think this is more the subjective sense here of us looking at Christ Jesus the Lord... As the standard, be ye perfect, even as my Father in heaven, right, is perfect. So what this is speaking of is the issue of maturity. It's speaking, because none of us are perfect. If you think you are, you're a liar. <laughs> Plain and simple, right? So yes, he indwells us in all of his fullness but the glorified Christ also provides for us a standard for his people to aim. Our, and, but nevertheless, that growth depends upon you receiving the things that are necessary for your growth. Uh, that spiritual formation and leading you unto maturity. Uh, Romans 6 will remind you that there's members of your body that have to be yielded to righteousness. Right? It's the sanctification process. And this transformation will not be complete in you. Until the Lord Jesus comes back for a perfect bride. Or a bride that he will make perfect. Chapter 5 verse 27 of Ephesians. We'll get there one day. And we'll talk about the husband and wife relationship. But it reminds us that Christ will return and present himself with the church. And it's his holy and spotless bride. We're not that yet are we? Now you've got his righteousness. You're innocent before him. Uh, judicially. But let's just say, sanctification-wise, we're in a process. And so our focus needs to be on the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the standard for our growth. In other words, we got to depend on Him. We have to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ for our growth. Okay, that's one. That's just one, right? Here's a second one. We're going we're gonna, to, some of these are shorter, just shift in. Building the body prepares us to recognize and handle heresy and false teaching. Again, this is corporate. Okay, don't forget this. This is a corporate body. And God has placed leaders in this church to help us in this process. Do you understand how this is connected to the giftedness to, that's given to the church to preach the word so that this result happens? Building the body prepares us to recognize and handle heresy. Notice what it says. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children 
And when it says children, it's not taught, it is using that figuratively or metaphorically to describe someone who is spiritually immature. We're not just talking about five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds here. So, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. But rather, it's going to be the flip side of that, so that introduces a negative purpose clause. It's best rendered not from now on, not from now on. And again, metaphorically speaking, we're not supposed to be children that can be tossed to and fro. One, one particular participial phrase means a continuing action of being tossed, like the waves continue to toss you here and there. The other is to be carried along. It's a participial present tense, meaning that these things are happening presently, continually in our lives if you are spiritually immature. So it's something for us to think about. Most scholars believe that this is represented in the false teaching. And it's vain philosophies which threaten to assimilate in the church. And they were undermining the Pauline gospel. Remember in Galatians? If you preach anything different from the gospel, then you are to be anathematized. There's only one gospel. No specifics are spelled out here about what this particular heresy is or what's the, what's the leaning or what's the deceitful schemes. It's not given to us. But there's no question that the people Paul was writing this to were unable to come to settle convictions or to evaluate various forms of teaching, and thus they were falling prey to every new theological fad that came along, right? It's done by human trickery. You know where this word comes from? It comes from aspects of gambling. Uh-oh, right? But that's what the word means. This is terminology that's accompanied with gambling, and then there's craftiness and deception. So in other words, without the firmness and stability that comes from growth, stimulated by the ministry of the word, stimulated by the community of believers, you began to be vulnerable and adrift in the stormy, tempestuous seas. So in other words, without this growth, believers are totally at the mercy of the waves, of the wind, which can carry them far off course. I love what the New English Bible says. It calls it every fresh gush of teaching. Hmm. The threat concerns Paul, I think, concerns him regarding what he's just said. The knowledge of the faith and the Son of God. It is the pastor-teacher role to encourage you to sink your roots deep into central doctrines of the faith. The immature are gullible and they're easily deceived. Here's some things that float around. Young people, you know this is true. And if you're getting ready to go to college, you're going to see it's doubly, doubly true. People say, well, all religions are the same. Hmm. If you're a good person, you'll go to heaven. The Bible is just one book among many religious books, not one greater than the other. You don't have to believe in the virgin birth. You don't have to believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. Just believe in the idea of a resurrection. You'll be fine. That's what's floating around out there, folks. And it's been there for years and years and years. We need to be mindful. It's kind of difficult for us to just decipher one aspect here when Paul is writing because he doesn't specify that. 
But anything that drives you away, carries you away, turns you upside down and pulls you away from the central nature of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God is the spirit of the Antichrist. So it is. We need to be people who know the Word of God. I'd love to read to you Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Let me just explain that. Hey, Paul says, you ought to all be teachers. But you're in need again for the ABCs of the faith. Because you don't know what you believe, basically. When you get over to 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Desire the pure milk of the word of God that in it you may grow and not fall into hypocrisy, not fall into false doctrine. Please hear this. The dangers presented here only serve to highlight, once again, how important it is that the ascended Christ has given gifts to the church so that the church hears the word of God. And the word of God will move us from immaturity to maturity and from instability to stability. I only need to remind you of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night that he may observe to do all that is written therein. And then he shall make his way prosperous. You know what that's called, folks? Stability. Then he will make his way prosperous. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Stability that brings forth fruit in its season. Okay, I did. That was fast, wasn't it? So that building up has to do with not only the knowledge of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but being able to recognize and handle heresy and false teaching. Number three, building the body involves truth joined with love. Again, that ultimate goal is right in the middle. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. But notice, building the body involves truth joined with love. And this will occur when we speak the truth in love rather than being misled by false gospels or a false gospel. Huge, sharp contrast is made between verse 14 and verse 15. Rather is strong. So what do we mean by that? Well, over against those crafty schemes, we come up with the expression of love. And while speaking the truth is set in opposition to error. So speaking the truth in love lays out a twofold contrast. The latter were presenting false doctrine in deceptive manners, false teachers. But over against that, the people of God are called to grow proclaiming the truth in love. Did you know that truth here is a participle? So that's kind of hard to grasp how that can be a participle. John Stott says it ought to be translated truthing. Well, that's not a word in English. But it's a good word in the grammar of the New Testament. We are to be truthing. This is a continual action. Truthing in love. What a word. All those who have been urged to live a worthy life into this calling. We're called to bear with one another in love. We are called to testify to the truth of the gospel in love. Again, I have to remind you. Look back at chapter 4. Verse 2, with patience bearing with one another in what? Love. And look at the envelope, the very end of this, 
Verse 15 and 16 has love in it. I think there's 15 times, if I'm not wrong, I could be, could be a few more, at least 15 times love is mentioned in the book of Ephesians. So, this is the medium through which growth is maximized. When there is this truthing in love, when true lives are married together with love and right doctrine, it frees up the Holy Spirit of God to work in amazing ways in a church body. When those two things are balanced, the truth, uh, I love what Warren Wearsby once said, truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. So these have to be wed together. We've got to stand on the truth, but we've got to do so in love. Amen? Building the body demands every member contribution. This is the fourth one. See it in verse 16? From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. If you're reading it, in the, thinking about the grammar, you've got two prepositional phrases, from and by. Okay? The by part, this is important, by every joint with which it is equipped, the first one, we have to struggle thinking about the body. Imagery. Okay? But the second one, we shouldn't. Because you know what, folks? Everybody has limbs. See them? Right? And, and they're connected. So what's being communicated here is that the body is comprised by a variety of limbs... They are closely connected together with ligaments. And every member is a limb in Christ's body. So what does that tell us? Because you're a part of the body, you are important. And because you are part of the body, you are called by God to do your part. So in other words, it is the every member contribution to this body. Every member is to contribute. Using what he or she has. And so when a member of your physical body is not functioning, what happens? Boy, does it ever cause problems. Correct? For us to grow as a body, we need to be a functioning, or we all need to be functioning members, using our gifts that Christ has given us to serve this particular body. And here it is again. What is our ultimate need? It's worded in a different way, but the same thing. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Back up to verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are to be dependent upon Christ. And we're also members of the body and we need each other. Everybody has to contribute their part. And all of that ought to be motivated by the sacrificial gift of Christ in saving you. Think about where this comes from. It is the love of Christ that compels us. And thus he's loved us in this manner that we should turn around and love him and love others. And anything we attempt to do that is not motivated by the love of God in Christ Jesus will end up being wood, hay, and stubble. It won't last. As we grow in Christ and as we use our gifts in love, this body will become healthy. Amen? All right, in conclusion... Do we need a ministerial strategy shift at our church? For some of us, yes, you, we may. Because your thoughts have always been, we hired that preacher to do the work. And I do have a lot of work I'm supposed to do. But so do you. 
Amen. We all do. So every, every member, a minister. Is that not a worthy church motto? Every member, a minister. Not only is it a good church motto, it's the biblical model. Why? Because God has commanded us to make disciples. Not get a decision, but make disciples. There's a huge difference in someone who is a disciple and someone who just made a decision. There's a huge difference. So the church is not a bus where I am driving and I do my best to coax and cajole people onto it, to put them in a seat. The church is a body and everyone has a job. We have a function and you have a part to play. All right, let me, can I narrow down Paul's logic for you real fast? And some of you will probably think, why didn't you say that to begin with? But here it is. Here it is. Here's Paul's logic. God has a job for everyone. God intends for the body to grow and mature. God wants believers to be grounded and safe. God wants us to speak the truth to each other. And God wants us to serve one another in love. Here's the other part of some logic you can hear. Here's another angle. God has gifted men to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Maturity happens through ministry. Not ministries. God did not give us ministries. He gave us ministers. There's a major difference there. So, ministry, maturity happens through ministry, not vice versa. And then we had saints doing the work of the ministry in which the body is built up. Building up the body results in unity and faith and knowledge in the Son of God. And this process produces a body that looks and acts like Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote one of the greatest discipleship books ever written, is called, called The Cost of Discipleship. Here's what he said. Christianity without the living Christ is inevitably Christianity without discipleship. And Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Wow. Next, this mature body is prepared to recognize and handle doctrinal heresy and false teaching. This body will... Mature body will be mutually accountable by speaking to one another in truth and love. This mature body grows in every way into Christ. Every part is working properly. The mature body keeps on growing and this mature body builds itself up in love. Now folks, listen clearly. All of this implies a tangible covenant relationship in a covenant community. Not televangelists that you watch on TV every Sunday morning. It happens through a covenant community that's committed. In other words, membership is local, visible. It's in a body of believers. It involves committing yourself. How in the world can you commit yourself to growth if you're not here? Or how can you commit yourself to growth if this is a body you say that you hang your hat here, you put out your shingle, but there's never any involvement in the body? You understand that that... That doesn't fit Ephesians 4. It's impossible for that to be the case. So this body makes Christ real to the world. Amen. Our goal here is not to build buildings. It's not to grow budgets. It's not merely to acquire knowledge. Or to be captivated by political or social agendas. (laughs) Don't get captivated by that today. You'll be in trouble. Right? Our goal is to build men. Our goal is to build women of God who will fill this world 
for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So it is a massively important text. Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. I, was, I like to put a hymn in my mind during a week. And I probably drive my family crazy sometimes. I know Natalie said, can you sing a different part of that song? And I think Nathan said that to me before. You know, change the lyrics. Is there another verse to that song? Right? But Adelaide Potter wrote a hymn in the 1800s. And it's one of my favorite invitational hymns. It's called, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Have Thine Own Way, Lord. <clears throat> I know you think about the verse... He's the potter, and we are the clay. But my favorite is verse 4. Here's what it says. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Filled with thy spirit. Till all shall see Christ only always living in me. If you're lost today, your prayer should be, O oh Lord God, hold or my being. Absolute sway. Bow. Low before the Lord and receive grace and mercy. Hold or my being. Absolute sway. And if you're a Christian today, in regard to everything that's been preached today, should that not be our response? God, hold or my being absolute sway. Not just mine, but corporately as a body. Hold or our church absolute sway. Father, we thank you for those words. Have thine own way. And Lord, as I bow my heart and knees to you today, Lord, it's, it's that prayer. And it has always been since the day you saved me. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. You held o'er my being absolute sway from the beginning of time. And you still hold it today. God, if someone is lost here today, may you draw them to you as only you can. By grace. By mercy. Father, and for saved people, people who already know you, are not only saved, but members of this church, God, help us. Help us all. We, we let people fall, fall through the cracks. We, Lord, we're all good-for-nothing sinners just saved by grace. We, we all readily say that to you, Lord. We all fail. We're all imperfect. We all have to confess. Lord, we all live with the fruit of repentance because we're repenting people. The Lord God, help us to do our part in this church so that this body functions as it should. And it's a light to the world about how awesome and great our Savior is. Help us in that area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother David's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. Let's stand together. Thank you, Andy. You found it. Let's sing it together. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, wounded and weary, help me, I pray, power of power, surely is thine, as in thy
that verse the pastor quoted? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Hold o'er my being, hold o'er my being, absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit, fill with thy spirit, till all shall see, till all shall see. Christ only always, Christ only always living in me. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Wounded and weary, wounded and weary. Help me, I pray. Help me, I pray. Power, all power. Power, all power. Surely is thine. Surely is thine. Touch me and heal me, Savior divine. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, Miss, uh, you can be seated just for a moment. Miss Deborah Spangler. Miss Deborah has been coming here for... November. About November-ish, all right. And many of you have got to know her. She's been a part of our women's ministry. She's already helping with the clothing ministry. And Miss Deborah wants you to know, standing here, that she knows Jesus as her Lord. And she has already followed in believer's baptism. So she comes to us by statement of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Just want you to meet her. And uh, praise God for blessing us here at this church with Miss Deborah. All right? Walk back there toward Mr. Don, and we'll let people greet you as they go out. I hope you'll come back tonight. Remember, our schedule will be more than likely most Sunday nights. First Sunday night of the month will be preaching. Second Sunday night will be visitation. Third Sunday night will be a combination of preaching and the Lord's Supper, usually. There won't be a Lord's Supper this month because it, the one we're going to do is close to it in the month of uh, April. And it'll be a Sunday morning, Palm Sunday, when we do that. So, but usually that's going to be the way that we... Uh, Push forward, we'll give you the fourth Sunday night off. And if we were to hit on a fifth Sunday night, then James Stryker is going to do a singing concert for us on the fifth. Oh, no, he's saying no. No, tonight, uh, Jared Fox is going to be leading the music, so everybody needs to come check him out. <laughs> Did I put you on the spot, brother? Yeah, all right. Jessica's going to help him, right? No, Brother David and Cammy are leaving for, they're going south toward the Holy Land. I think they're going to fly, ride right through Athens, Georgia. What are the, you know, no, just kidding. But they are going on vacation. Pray for them that they'll be refreshed mentally, spiritually. And appreciate Jared stepping up for tonight. And uh, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. And let's let every member do their part. Amen. To God be the glory. Hope to see you tonight. Amen. And do remember, starting today, uh, evening services start at 5.30. 5.30. All right. Hey, let's uh, sing what we learned today. Uh, he makes a way where there ain't no way. Stand together. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he will do for you what he done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let my Jesus change. 